0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I've spoken with people from every single state, including Washington, D.C. And also, if you polit- pay attention to politics at all, you know that, um, you know as I talk to mostly Democrats and uh, progressive people. You know, there's some places that have a lot of Democrats in office or running for office and like New England or California, some places with very few, like Idaho and uh, Kansas maybe. But yet I've talked to more people in Idaho for my podcast than Massachusetts. That changes today as I talk to my new best friend, of which I have many now, uh, Samantha Perlman. She's going to talk to me about what it's like in Massachusetts. I think we're going to learn a lot. It's going to be fun. And uh, maybe you will be encouraged to run for office, too, wherever you live. So, Samantha, um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Tony, and thank you to everyone who's been listening. This is such an important um, avenue of being able to share why all of you should run for office yourself. And hopefully hearing a little bit about my story and uh, running for the city council and, and serving in my first term here in Marlboro, Massachusetts, can be um some sort of inspiration for other people as it's, um, a very rewarding and fulfilling experience to run.
0: Now I was about to introduce that you were a council member in Marlborough, but my wife is from New England. She's from Rhode Island and I'm always afraid that I'm going to mispronounce any word that sounds totally different in New England than it does in real world.
1: I know. Yeah, that is actually very true. I hope my, I hope don't have a, an accent coming through, but yeah, we call it Marlboro. Yes. Um, the R is sort of silent.
0: You sound great. Um, So the thing I always talk to people about is everyone's got their, the first thing that got them interested in public office, public service, whether it's for running for office or just being engaged. You are someone that's very engaged in uh, the political process, not just as a council member. Um, What was it that, were you always, was it like your family always talked about it, so it was obvious you would do it, or some election that spurred you into action? What was it that made you very politically aware? Yeah,
1: that's a really good question. I feel like there's like different stages of my life where I've been able to kind of pick up some of that political um, interest, and I would definitely say, no, wasn't like my family was super engaged. Obviously, they voted, but mostly in you know the state and federal elections. And I think there's a special interest uh, for local elections that you know is um, some secret sauce, additionally. And um, I'm actually serving where I grew up, which I think is also really special. So. Um, I'm a small girl and grew up here in the community, and I guess some of my early experiences, um, particularly one I talk about a lot um, that happened even in high school, was when uh, we had an administrator at our um, school that was unfairly fired, and a lot of the students got together and did sit-ins and, you know, rode to the school committee and were able to speak at school committee meetings and join together and use our voices um, to share our concerns and why we wanted him to be returned. Um, and so that was something I think my first foray into the importance of using your voice and that you can make it a difference with other people in your community. Uh, I don't think I would have pointed it as politics at the time or anything mm-hmm. like that, but public engagement for sure. And just saying, here's something I want to see change, and I'm going to use my voice to do something about it. Um, so that was kind of very early on in my life. And I would say I became nowhere near um, interested in saying I would run for office. I think like many um, women in my age demographic, right, there's a huge drop off after high school and, and young women's political ambition, and so, you know, I was active in student government in high school, but did not do so in college, and it was really when I moved back to my home community and started seeing all these issues and not really seeing myself or other people represented on the council that I started thinking about, what if I ran for or what would that look like, and got so locally involved in a lot of different efforts, and a lot of people were really saying, you know, you have a lot you want to say, like, you should do something about it, and suddenly, you know without that kind of encouragement i don't know if i would have done it as early as i did
0: what do you think causes some of that apathy or not apathy maybe but disengagement especially for younger women um who brought, bring a lot of really important perspectives my a person who's running for mayor in my town my friend she's i think 30 and she was on council before and we encouraged her she probably wouldn't have done it if we hadn't encouraged her to first run for council um but she's she's terrific we want her to win um But it seems like there's a lot of younger people, especially younger women, who, you know, maybe they don't get engaged, like you said.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really changing, you know, which is very fortunate. I do feel like with all of the the recent political gains with women in office, not only here in Massachusetts, but at the federal level, has really reshaped um, our perceptions of what a leader looks like. But I think for me specifically, and it probably is applicable to other people, is that, you know, a lot of times you think, oh, to be elected and run for office, I need to have a million degrees and be much older in my life. And a lot of women, we see it as like a second career after they've had a family. And so some of the kind of um, visualizations that we see are not always every experience of what it's like to run for office. I know for me, I thought I had to have lots of degrees and it would be maybe something Mm -hmm. I would do like in my 40s or 50s. So I think what you just stated about all of the different skill sets and insight that young women bring to the table is something that is undervalued. Uh, And I know there is some research that also shows that, you know, young people want to make a difference in their communities, but they don't see government as a way to do that. And they often turn to the private sector or being an entrepreneur or other avenues and don't necessarily see public service in the same light.
0: Yeah, it seems to me from many people I've talked with, both on this podcast and just in life, uh, politics and public service has a really bad name to a lot of people. It's like, that's something dirty. Someone else will do that. But I feel like if politics has a dirty connotation, then only people who agree with that are the people that are going to get into it. And like good people are left on the sidelines, which hurts everybody. Yeah,
1: I think that's really well said. And there's, um, and I think one of the things actually that's interesting when I got really excited about women in office and, you know, I ran in 2019 for the first time when I got elected in 2018 was all those political games of really uh, powerful young women. I know, um, you know, seeing like AOC and Ayanna Press to get elected at that time it was really inspiring. Uh, and, you know, I think oftentimes we just might see that apathy come through because people have never asked us what we thought about yeah. an issue or we haven't been able to engage in the same way. And to your point about politics having a dirty connotation, you know, we just see a lot of news coverage of a lot of the negative, especially now what's happening. And often those uh, bright spots of positive examples, both at the local and state level and, and federal where, you know, leaders are doing things because they care about the future of their community, and uh, oftentimes we see it for personal gains, and, um, you know, oftentimes if good people don't step up, um, you know, those who have other other avenues and um, purposes for running will be the ones who are the ones um, taking up the seats.
0: Now you stepped up and ran in Marlboro. What was it that made you say, I have something to bring, especially to council"? You know, a lot of people, and I think especially young people, but I think everyone kind of looks at politics and say, if I want to make a difference, I have to run for Congress, or I have to run for state legislature. They don't think about these seats. So what was it that propelled you to take that step?
1: Yeah, no, there's actually a couple things that came together. And one of the things I'm thinking about, too, um, is I did actually a lot of reading about women in politics um, when I started thinking about running, and that was really helpful just to say other people were having the same types of questions in their mind. But I was really fortunate to work at a nonprofit um, that did civic education. So in Massachusetts, there's a nonprofit called Generation Citizen. It's national. Uh, works on project-based civics with young people across the country. And being able to help teachers and volunteers and students identify local issues in their community and develop a policy project to enact change at the local or state level really reshaped my focus I had done a lot of internships throughout college um, at the state and federal level and you know I was always interested in working government but had never really looked at the local but here I was you know helping students create mental health curriculum you know for their schools or trying to pass legislation that would um, work on gun control at the state level so all of these issues where young people had so much to say. And then here I was living back in my home community and it really reflected back on me. Like what am I doing to make a difference here? So like I said, I got involved in a lot of organizations and found myself constantly being the only one under fifty and one of mm-hmm. you know few oftentimes. And you know, I'm twenty-six now, but when I ran I was I started at twenty three and got elected at twenty-four. So I didn't really see a lot of um, people that looked like me in those spaces, but the intergenerational work is so important. So I feel like that um, work experience and seeing on the ground young people make a difference really really impacted me. And then um, one story I will share that's very impactful was uh, one time I was at a press conference. I worked here in Massachusetts on the civics legislation that passed, um, and there was a young state rep um, who I ended up chatting with, and I was just so in awe that he was elected at so young. Um, You know, and I started chatting with him and it just came out of my mouth. I said, oh, I hope to run for office one day and not even knowing that that was something, you know, that I was even thinking about, you know, and he said to me, you know, you're so involved in your community. You care so much. Why aren't you running now?
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: feel like that was so important because oftentimes we always think it's something we want to do later or there's, you know, a perfect time to run for office here's the secret. There is no good time to run for office. You know, right. and I think if you want to make a difference in your community, the time is now. Um, and not to let anyone else tell you otherwise. So I think, you know, even him just saying that kind of made me say, hmm, I don't have an answer. And so the question shouldn't be why run? It should be why not run.
0: So a lot of people will put up on some reason as why not to run uh, My, my wife isn't interested in being in office though so she votes all the time and with me. Um, but she um you know we have two kids so she's gone through two pregnancies and job switches and Yay. things like that you know when you talk to someone like my wife for example or someone like that with family obligations or other things why would um why shouldn't those things be a hindrance to taking up the mantle and running for office well
1: i think that's a really great point and you no know, um there's a lot of states Massachusetts we're working on legislation even now that would allow for you know campaign funds to be used for childcare and I think there are a lot of burdens for for mothers and, and people with children to be able um, to run for office. so you know I always think it's what kind of level do people want to get involved those who might not be able to run for office at this time Could they join an appointed board? Could they be in some group where they still are able to make a difference but maybe the time commitment is less. Uh, and I think the more that people run, especially at the local level, it is more accessible, especially in a smaller, like, town environment. You know, here in Marlboro, it's a large city, and, you know, if somebody ran at the ward level, that's more accessible than, you know, at large, which I did, which, you know, it's just more ground to cover, um, and so it's a little bit more difficult, but I do think, um, you know, what are the district seats available and also, you know, those boards, I started on a city board and It wasn't because I thought I'd run for office. It was just because I wanted to give back. And that was a way for me to still make a contribution to my community.
0: So what is Marlboro like? You know, and not just like, oh, it has this kind of exports, these kind of... What is it like politically? And what are you able to do on council?
1: Yeah, so um, is 43,000 people about, I want to say. We're in the Metro West area of Massachusetts, so kind of centrally located... Um, we've been increasingly having a lot of um, development happening, so um, that's been a big concern. I would say from the residents is around this balance of you know growth and can kind it of be sustainable? We have a lot of headquartered businesses here and a real hub for um, commercial development. Um, we have a pretty diverse population base with a lot of um, immigrant communities, particularly a large Brazilian immigrant population here in the city. And I think like many cities, Marlboro is caught between the old and the new, right, trying to maintain its historic character while also, you know, utilizing land for development. And I'm a big environmental person, so, you know, I'm excited to see a lot of interest in the city, but I also want to make sure that, you know, we're protecting the wildlife that we have here and the, the open space remains. I think a lot of the, the tensions that exist right now um, are from that development, which mm-hmm. you know is very helpful as we have a split tax rate, but can be also a, a detriment to some of the traffic issues or you know overcrowding or, or things like that with housing. Um, and to politically, I mean, they say it's like a purple area. Um, I feel like that might just be in terms of enrollment. I know people say sometimes um, you know nonpartisan at the local level for running for office, but it's you know got a um, an active political base in all spectrums, and a lot of people are unenrolled as well. Uh, And, you know, I think people are turning out a lot of these federal level elections most recently in 2020, but getting people to turn out locally has been a lot more challenging. And I'm grateful that, like, through the efforts of our campaign, we were able to help increase turnout the last election cycle.
0: So Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot as a local official that there are a lot of things you can do Locally, that you didn't you know, realize what you could do, like in terms of environmental policy development, like you said. um What are, have, have there been any surprises in a, in a good way? Like you got in kind of a fresher face into local office and realized, oh, I can, I can do that. We can, why didn't we do this before?
1: Yeah, and I think that's really well said. I know a lot of my first term has been shaped by the pandemic, so we haven't been able to do as much of the, kind of the proactive things that I would like to see given a lot of the vaccine access and COVID testing and, you know, with the moratoriums here, being able to make sure people had housing. And I mean, it was really like a lot of on the ground work in my first term with the food pantry and um, mm-hmm. helping people file unemployment and really just being a resource for residents. And I find myself getting contacted by everybody. I'm fortunate that I represent the whole city, but usually a lot of people contact their ward counselor and I do get a high um, amount of ward level issues. So I think that I'm totally with you that we were able to pass some solar zoning, which was really important early on. That was before the pandemic hit. Um, we have a, a temporary housing moratorium right now because of the rate of development that's occurring. Um, and so there are a lot of other efforts, even at this local level saying like recently we were able to get in a heater to be electric rather than gas for a permit. I mean, there's ways to just say what are things happening and how can we make it more environmentally friendly on um, a very individual level like that. Um, and I'd be excited to see other zoning opportunities, um, and I'm still learning my way, so just like everybody else, I think we've been inundated with so much, and um, I'm one of a couple new counselors, but the only one who um, wasn't running for an open seat, so um, it's definitely been an interesting dynamic, and I'm, and I'm really grateful for, you know, all of the, the learnings I've already gained.
0: So, you're able to do things, and I, I think that's pretty neat, too. I, we learned that locally, like... Um in terms of trees when if there's a new development they have to plant trees but like well if they cut down trees they should put some more up too or maybe they could plant two instead of putting one there like plant it somewhere else because it just matters to do that um so i've talked to like i said someone in every state plus dc and one thing i think about is you got places like massachusetts washington dc um california like berkeley where i talked to um rigel robinson uh where democrats are going to win it's it's a there's not a big deal there uh, talk to people in rhode island and um hawaii like that so i imagine a lot of people probably think well why should i'm a democrat democrat wins that's fine what what do you do why is that not a good mentality why is it matter not just the party winning but the kind of individuals what they bring to the table?
1: Yeah, well said, because the people really matter. So I think it's really important, like, if people have, like, platforms available, that you're able to be educated about the issues that they're going to prioritize. Because a lot of the work of elected officials, you know, really is, like, political courage. So how are they going to be responding and being able to put forth new issues and exciting things that are actually changing the future of where the community is currently? And so oftentimes, you know, just because some of the Democrats, maybe they vote a certain way, but do they champion an issue? Are they going to bring different stakeholders to the table? Are they going to offer new innovative ideas? And, you know, it's as the, the constituents, it's our responsibility to really ask those questions of our elected officials, both the ones in office, the ones running, the ones who are incumbents, you know. I often think there's a complacency sometimes for incumbents, and, you know, excited to see those who are really, like, on the ground. I know Um, From even our conversation, I know you're a very active person who's been elected for several terms, and that's what we want to see, right? That people are always really in touch with the community. And so um, I think for those of us who might not have as much time to be engaged, you know, just asking questions of your elected officials and even seeing how responsive they are. If there's an issue that you're seeing at a larger level, how can it be localized? And to ask those questions, I think, is really important. So. You know, the, the Democrat thing, you know, obviously it's great to have the D, but what does that really mean? And I would really look at someone's platform, and if there's holes in it, you need to ask those tough questions.
0: Yeah, and I noticed, yeah. I think there's a congressional primary there, maybe just last year, where there were like 10 Democrats running for Congress, and because of the system in Massachusetts, someone could become a new Congress member with like 12% of the vote.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, we had a ranked choice voting ballot question that didn't make it through um, this particular time, which would have changed that since we had several of these um, very populated primaries, right? Um, And I think also to your point about the one that just happened here recently, right, there's a lot of lived experiences that somebody brings to the table. So Mm -hmm. even if we are identity characteristics, their work experience, um, we said before the issues they want to champion. So I know in that um, recent congressional race, there were people who were, you know, Scientists or academics or people who had um, you know held local office people who were running for the first time And so I think saying like what does the district need right now? And you know, what are our elected officials should be from all different backgrounds? So I think the more that we can have a, a diverse range in all in all ways of our elected officials the better our democracy will be
0: Yeah, i found that too like um, You talked about being a young person and the things you bring to the table um, And it sounds like Marlboro might be very similar to Bridgeport though a lot bigger in terms of it seems like the the divide is not democrat versus republican though that exists or you know trump versus obama or that kind of stuff but more newer versus older not even age wise right like just there's a lot of people you said that care about the history and preserving the town but the world changes how do you fight back maybe not fight back but how do you push back against people who are well-meaning but their attitude may they show up a lot like they don't want things to change.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, a good point, too, of like, how do we both listen and push, you right. know, the people to see a different viewpoint. Um, and I really do think that active listening is so important. So kind of understanding the viewpoint, where it's coming from and asking those questions. Mm-hmm. You know, is it stemming from they're concerned about their house or are they, you know, don't want to see um, certain historic buildings be removed, which I totally understand. Um, but a lot of times, right, it's getting those people to meet one another. I think we often live in our isolated enclaves of the people we know and that look like us. So oftentimes just bringing people together. I know most recently I worked with some other residents on starting like a social justice kind of organization here in the city um, that's just a community-run group, and that really brought a different, a different opportunity for like diverse stakeholders to meet one another, and I know one of my you know, jobs I take on as a city councilor is when I see people who could have really cool things in common but don't know each other, like, how do I make those connections and build community? Because oftentimes, you know, when somebody knows their neighbor, right, it doesn't matter if they come from a different place or speak a different language, they're actually able to build some, some commonality with them and some common ground. So I feel like it's sort of bringing people into the same space and also letting people know that. A lot of positive things that can happen with change, right? And just mm-hmm. because something is different doesn't make it bad. And so oftentimes, you know, the way something used to look might have been okay for a short time period, but it's 2021. So, what can we do to maybe upgrade, you know, the building code or things are at a higher standard, right? We don't want to be back um, in the days of old where things were not, you know, equal and fair. And, you know, we had, um, looser guidelines so things were not as healthy for us so I think there's a lot of benefits for the the newer um, perspective that we bring and I know for myself I kind of feel in some ways I straddle it as someone who grew up here but you know my parents didn't grow up here which there's always like oh are you a townie and people say they've been here for generations and that doesn't apply to me but I I do know what it was like even 10-20 years ago um, you know and so I can see where we were and you know there were some things that were good but then there are other things that are much better now.
0: Yeah, you, know, you talk about the diverse perspectives, and I find that to be very valuable in any capacity, whether you're talking about you know on a local level or beyond. But there's a lot of pushback from you know conservative people, independent people. Not always even bad. They're just like, oh, these progressives and liberals, they want to have this very these different letters, all this kind of diversity that is you know missing the point. Is so focused on diversity that they're going to keep people like me out, whether it's me like a straight white male age 18 to 45 for a couple more years, um, and uh, or it, uh, just a Homer Simpson quoter, um, how do you kind of bridge that where you kind of mm-hmm. respect diversity and respect that making sure those people who may be kind of nervous that there's too much change, make sure they feel included in that conversation? Yeah, and no, I
1: don't think it's an either or, right? It's like yeah. a, It's like an and. Because we're bringing more diverse stakeholders to the table, that that means that others are not able to be there. I think it's about you know look at who's in the room and who's making decisions and does it represent our population? Um, and so oftentimes, like I said, just having people be together and just get to know each other as individuals, I think oftentimes you know either make assumptions about other people or we have a, a view of what something might be without actually talking to the other person. I mean, I think that happens sometimes with um, you know folks who are used to things being a certain way and those coming in with a new perspective and just having different opinions of what the other person thinks. Uh-huh. Um, and I have some, I have seen, you know, for myself, um, you know, just some really great kind of synergy among different community members who do come from different backgrounds. And it literally is because, you know, the neighborhoods are changing and they're getting to meet their neighbors. And I really think that's like a lost art is sort of, I'm always like the block party and the things that bring people together when they wouldn't know each other already. Um, and, you know, it changes hard. I mean, I know when I first ran, you know, everyone told me I didn't have a chance, you know, that I was
0: too young
1: and that I didn't have the name recognition and I uh, wouldn't make it, right? And, you know, that came from people who, you know, were in touch with things at the local level and people who probably just didn't want to see someone run for the seat. But I think it was really important that I said, you know, I have something to offer. You know, I grew up here. I work in the civic engagement field. I see a lot of issues in the community that I know I can work on. And, you know, I'm going to put myself out there. And it's a very vulnerable thing to run for yeah. office. But I think, you know, if I I feel like I have such a better uh, sense of self having done it because there's nothing more than canvassing as many people as possible and having to sell yourself over and over again, right, to talk about who you are and what makes you sick and why you're so passionate about the community. So, you know, I think sometimes you just have to prove them wrong, right? We can say all the things we want and sometimes we have to show people. Uh, but I, I think it was really important. So I hope people listening also realize that you know just because someone says it's not your time doesn't mean that it is
0: yeah i agree and i'm i'm like canvassing i miss it i'm looking forward to doing it this fall um you know now that vaccinated and you know I, i can go door to door and see people and they might talk to me and i i enjoy doing that more than i enjoy like i don't answer social media for the most part when it comes to local stuff um so one thing I think about though as you talk and I think about Massachusetts being a very blue state is a lot of people might be intimidated and think, well, there's enough people there already who are involved. Why should I they probably don't want someone like me. You you talk about your story. Where would you encourage someone to to start? Not necessarily that they have to run for office in Marlboro, but like if they want to be uh, be involved and maybe run for office, what do you think would be some good first steps in a place like Massachusetts?
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't I wouldn't let anyone who's currently in office, you know, deter you because you know people are not entitled to any seat. Right. It belongs to the public and the residents. So you have every right to run for any seat, regardless of who's holding it. Um, I would say some of the things that are really helpful early on, you know, is to say what is like the kind of change you want to impact. Because sometimes I feel like people don't always match up the positions with what the positions can do. So if you're trying to work on the policy issue at the state level versus if you want to work on an issue with the schools or you know you're seeing things with um, the environment kind of identifying what those key issues are for you and just start getting involved right so join any local organization or community group uh, meet other people if you're able to even like get active in like a policy issue or a ballot question or something that allows you to delve into the elements of a campaign without having to be the candidate mm-hmm. um, or even sure. helping support a candidate that you know, you identify with with your values is really key. And Like I was saying earlier, I'm somebody who likes to immerse myself in an inspirational um, people, so I would read a lot of, like, women's biographies or, like, women in politics kind of books just to remind myself, um, even at the time, to be like, wow, this is, like, you know, people had these same questions of doubt in their own mind and look what they were able to achieve, Um, and I think that helps demystify it, right, because we only see people when they're successful and we don't know all of the steps that it took to get there. I mean, a lot of people run for office multiple times or, you know, go to different boards and commissions and are very active, um, and, you know, it's all part of their story. So I think just getting comfortable even with talking to people, introducing yourself, maybe if you're, like, are involved with the school, joining, like, a PTO or something like that is a really great way to just get involved. Um, and I just think any form of civic engagement where you're stepping outside yourself and, you know, and trying to contribute to the community is really important, like, start a neighborhood group or, you know, start working on a particular event. All of those things, I think, help build the skill sets that are transferable to running for office.
0: Yeah, I agree. And um, you also, if you don't have some self-doubt, maybe you shouldn't be the person running for office anyway. I think that some self-doubt makes you a better person in office.
1: Yeah, that's so true, right? I remember even myself on Election Day, I was like, we do all the work. I still don't know what's going to happen, you know? So making sure that, um, you know, people are i really trying to work for it, right? Nothing is uh, just given. So that's something I take to heart a lot right now as I'm running for re-election. It's just still getting out there and still meeting people and and putting in all the work.
0: So I have two more questions. They're pretty easy. But one, I just had this conversation with a uh, school board member in Florida, Alexandra Ayala. She is 29, so she's also a younger person in office. And it's great to have a younger voice, uh, especially on a school board. Florida is very different from Massachusetts, as I'm sure you know. So they're dealing with, uh, she's, if she, she's going to pull out her hair, she'll pull out her hair listening to these conspiracy theories, um, listening to nonsense about like people thinking that COVID is a hoax or you know don't get a vaccine at the same time. But you have a very different situation in Marlboro, Massachusetts, right? So from your perspective, what makes you feel hopeful about the state of politics and the state of um, the future, hopefully you do feel hopeful, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess two pieces. I will say that some of those, you know, negative things that were happening in Florida are not immune to a state like Massachusetts. So I will say that I'm sure it's not the highest levels as it is there, but we're not immune to any of that either. Um, I wouldn't really say I'm, I'm so hopeful because I just see so many more people being engaged. I know just one example is for my campaign. We're doing a, a youth for Sam program that I'm really proud of where we have a lot of Young people who are just graduating high school or high school, I think, you know, age 14 to like 22 who are working on a campaign. And a lot of it is because they're really excited about Marlboro. They want to see change and obviously support of a young candidate. But every time I have a conversation with them and they're just so enthused to talk to other residents or they didn't know something about the city or they contact me and say, you know, I wanted to come to you because, you know, you're someone I know I can reach out to. I mean, that makes me really hopeful and if we've seen anything in the last couple of years, all of the student organizing, all of the engagement from young people with, you know, everything from climate to gun control, you know, um, the reproductive health injustice. I mean, the engagement levels are so high. And I think things like social media have really helped that. And then obviously um, Black Lives Matter and other um social movements, um, supporting um, different communities of color are just so vital and are another entree way for people to be engaged and, and then say, you know, one way to make change is also to be in a position as a policymaker, right, to enact mm-hmm. those ideas mm-hmm. that we want to see. So I feel like taking that transition from advocate to policymaker is something that's really important. Um, and so I'm just really energized by, you know, all of them. And every time I see somebody, like, step up for themselves and, and, and do something new, it's it's been really powerful. So... Some people in my own community, even just the other day, you know, were saying how how fun it was to go canvassing, you know, and, and be able to meet people. And I think that's something that you know I wish I had been exposed to at a younger age as well, and see someone like myself in office. So you know, I think for all of us, right, we don't do it for ourselves; we do it for all those down the line, and to create that pipeline for new people to see themselves in leadership, just like the way that you're doing on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I think that it's very important to have very. As much diversity in office as possible, not because diversity in itself is good, but the more people that see someone like themselves, whether they're female or male or transgender, gay, lesbian, black, white, Native American, anything, just means that they have a reason why they should run, too, and bring something important to the table. Um, lastly, uh, it's important that people want to reach out, maybe, and find out more about Marlboro, Massachusetts. They might want to find out more about oh, you. Yes. <laughs> um yes. They... Um, you know, I am from Philadelphia, so we're very proud of the fact that we beat the Patriots. Not me; I had nothing to do with it. Um,
1: but, I'll forgive you yeah. too soon. <laughs>
0: um, so, all that in mind, if people are interested and want to learn more, where what's the best way that they can uh, follow you on social media or learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so my um, all my handles are kind of the same. It's at Sam for Marlboro, so S A M F O R M A R L B O R O. Um, and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and then our At Youth for Sam group has a TikTok, which I'm very proud of, um, and then my, you know, website, samanthaperelman.org, and people can contact me at campaign at so definitely willing to connect with anybody. I've, I've been pretty involved in a lot of, like, efforts to get more young women nationally to run for office, so I've done a lot of public speaking on that and have engaged with various groups and never, ever miss an opportunity if somebody reaches out. I always want to do a one-on-one and see how I can help regardless of the race. So feel free to reach out if that's you or if you just want to chat. I'd love to, you know, hear your story and hopefully offer some insight that can be helpful.
0: Well, you've offered a lot of insight today. I encourage anyone, if you can, to listen to, to follow Samantha. Um, Maybe you'll want to run for office too and and check out her story and be inspired. So thank you so much, Samantha. Um, I appreciate it and best of luck in Marlboro.
1: Thank you so much, Tony. This was awesome, and I hope everyone here runs for office. You got this.
0: Great.